conferences, long agendas, big venues, always on your feet, barely getting to see the people that you want to see, and then, of course, the expense. Well, the three of us at Good Morning Hospitality are launching Good Morning Retreats. Our first retreat is this July 8th through the 10th at the Horse Hospitality Training School in Auburn, Alabama. If you go to goodmorningretreats.com, you'll find out more information about our first retreat that we're launching. We have already filled half the slots. We have 20 available and we have about 13 already filled. So make sure you go there, you apply, show your interest, and we'll get you all situated for our first ever Good Morning Retreat. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. And now back to the episode. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to Good Morning Hospitality, your one-stop shop for the latest news, noteworthy trends, and thought-provoking discussions across the industry. From hotels and short-term rentals to all things travel and hospitality, you'll find each episode equips you with the information that you need to start your week. Join us on Good Morning Hospitality every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, team. I love that new video so much better than all of our old ones so ah it's just so refreshing what a good monday how are you guys doing happy monday i'm fantastic (laughs) relentless positivity keeping that going for another week in january you know (laughs) gotta keep it all year brandy i thought that's i know i know but it's you take one week at a time exactly how far in the book are you first chapter (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it we had a what book is this atomic habits oh yeah yeah it's a great book yeah it is a great book well Uh, if everybody's read it then peer pressure i gotta get on it Mm -hmm. do a mix of audiobook and the reading kind of do two for one maybe i'm really good at reading when i'm on long flights and i've downloaded the book (laughs) yeah (laughs) there you go i love it well uh it's good to see you guys again. We had such a fun week last week with our episode getting tons of engagement in a lot of ways based off of the the thriving topic of AI and chat GPT. So glad to kind of run off that coattail, I guess, from last week's episode. And then, of course, our influencer roundtable that we did getting to jump into predictions of 2023. Um So, which was what we're going to do a deeper dive in on today. And Jason agrees with you on Atomic Habits. It's a great book. So, always encouraged. Everybody's on it. I got to get on it. It's peer pressure. I love it. You got to get, it's good peer pressure. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're not trying to tell you to do drugs or drink too much. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Love it. So, I, I guess we're just going to jump in. We don't really have like a news story for the week. Uh, there's a couple things that did pop up. Uh, I know we mentioned through the group chat and stuff that we have on the back end, but I think we should just uh, get into a oh, look at that, man. We're getting all sorts of people commenting today. Um, but yeah, just get into 
get into the predictions and the deep dive. And so I'll let either one of you kind of start, maybe give some insight or context to why we picked this as our topic this week. Um, Michael, you look like you're ready to, to answer that question. So happy have, to you, have you, happy have you jump in. Yeah. So last week, and I think it'll be released this week if you didn't catch it live. Um, we had some predictions across uh, a lot of the, podcasters within Will's network from various subtopics of you know, niches within short-term rentals to broad-based hotels um, to helping hosts and, and beyond. And I think it's worth taking a, a little bit deeper dive on the things that we think are going to happen because we each only had about four minutes to, to discuss. So for me, um, I'm kind of sitting in between hotels and short-term rentals, um, I'm primarily in the UK and Ireland, but there's trends that we see pop up all the time. In fact, Ace Hotels sold last week, another brand that, that got gobbled up. And for me, um, the, the prediction was there will be another hotel company launch or acquire a multifamily apartment brand this year uh, following Marriott's introduction of apartments by Marriott. So the reason why hotels launch or acquire brands is twofold. Uh, one, speed to market. And uh, two, because they have a geography that they probably can't sell anymore because some of their other flags are already competing within the same reserved location or, or area. And so if they add a new brand that's not competitive with this brand or that brand, they can now enter the market and penetrate it even further. So they might only have 200 keys that are flagged Marriott, another 200 that are JW Marriott, and another 200 that are Ritz. But now they have apartments by Marriott, which they can have another 200 keys. So it just it, it creates density further in, in markets that they want to be in. So with the apartment segments, they're, they're really the first one that's entered it to directly compete with Airbnb on market share uh, of who's getting the bookings. It's different because they're a brand. So they're offering standards. They're offering... You know, hopefully it'll feel more like a home than some of these extended stay properties, but they're not calling it extended stay, which is, I think, a big leap in the hotel world because they've always said we have apartments, but they don't. Uh, extended stays are usually not the Impressive. nicest to stay in. Yeah, the clientele <laughs> yeah. that's there is is spotty sometimes. I mean, I've stated some, they're fine. You know, it's not a bash on all extended stay. But generally speaking, that category isn't going to be as nice as the apartments category or as Sextant's apartments will be. And so I think it, it really plays into uh, how much a brand can dive in um, and then they can apply loyalty points as well. And for a company as big as Marriott, loyalty points is huge. They're sitting on, I should have looked it up, but probably a billion dollars worth of of loyalty points that are yet to be redeemed. 
I mean, Delta's numbers during the pandemic were insane and, and they were able to actually take loans against the values of their loyalty bases. So, um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But uh, some of the stats on the, the branding side of hotels, there are kind of seven top brands and there are 165 flags underneath those brands. Marriott has 30, Accor has about 40, Wyndham has 26, Hyatt has 22, Hilton has 18, IHG has 17, and Choice has 12. And right before the pandemic, this like surge of brands started happening. In 2019, uh, 60 brands were either acquired or um, founded under a flag in 2019 alone, 60 new ones. Hmm. So I think that shows this very clear race against mass standardization of a four room Marriott that looks the same if you're in Miami as it is in Tokyo, as it is in London. And really a a hyper focus on um, what the travelers are looking for and kind of the subcategories there within. Yeah, I am um, the, I'm very curious about the apartments by Marriott. I definitely want to go do some secret stays. <laughs> I, um, you know, I think we've been seeing the, this kind of this foray into the kind of apart hotel model is not shocking by any means. I'd stayed, I think it was a residence. no, one of the R ones and they had, it was kind of like a high rad. Yeah. It it was like a sweet version. So it wasn't a full apartment, but there was like pretty much a full kitchen, except it had like three burners instead of four on the stove. Mm -hmm. And so you could start and it was, it had just opened. So it was like, you could tell that that is something, you know, they're all, all these different brands are going to be playing catch up for sure. Yeah. And so of those brands, Accor, Marriott, Wyndham, Hyatt, Hilton, IHG, and Choice. Accor bought One Fine Stay, so they've been in the space a while. Marriott has homes and villas. Now they've launched a brand. Wyndham just sold off their vacation rental division to Vacasa, um, and then they sold off the European division to a private equity firm. Hyatt has taken some bets in the space. They haven't had any pan out yet, um, mm. but but they have been active uh, with some smaller investments in the past. Um, and I'm totally drawing a blank on the name. You know, actually that there's this huge residential tower in Brickell. It's the largest, the tallest one outside of New York city. And we were trying to like weasel our way in there and see if we could get some floors when they were still in development years ago. But Hyatt has, I think like maybe like five floors on there. And I think that they're like normal apartments. So it's kind of interesting. It's not, it's nothing, it's not a big footprint, but they're definitely trying, I think going in and partnering with these huge multifamily developments that are these, you know, luxury apartment buildings is also a good way to kind of get your foot in the door. Yeah. These condo hotels have existed for a long time. Ritz has them four seasons. A lot of the luxury um, properties, have that Oasis Collections, who I was thinking of, uh, that Hyatt invested in a long time ago. Yeah. So Hyatt's, Hyatt's made some bets. Uh, IHG has 
from what I've heard, actively stayed away from short-term rentals, which is very interesting. And then Choice Hotels tried to do what Marriott Homes and Villas is. They were unsuccessful. Loyalty base isn't quite what Marriott's loyalty base is. The brand isn't maybe as the same quality that the Marriott's is. So I think they struggled. Um, to my knowledge, they've stopped it, but I could be wrong. But after, uh, after our show last week, I had two people reach out and say, yes, your, your prediction will come true. Uh, they are poking <laughs> around. There are other hotels poking around trying to create a brand. So very interesting. Um, you know, it's not totally new, but it is something that I think with, with the right companies like Marriott and Hilton and, and Hyatt, even a core in Europe, um, I think it can eat into Airbnb's market share. So they do need to be a little careful with, uh, with how they work with these folks. Yeah, I can agree more. It's uh, how, how good did it feel to have your prediction already affirmed? And, <laughs> and uh... <laughs> the, the key to these predictions is doing stuff that are it's 95% sure is going to happen but it hasn't quite happened yet so well that's yeah. not that's not bold one of the requirements was be bold on... i mean that's pretty that's pretty big <laughs> I... news for a hotel brand to start competing in the short terminal space so yeah I, i'm gonna stick to my guns there brandy <laughs> you should, yeah i mean and my prediction wasn't like bold really i just kind of i i was trying to think when we were going through this of something that was like do you go kind of outlandish or do you go with something that has like data behind it so i think yeah. that something actually potentially going to happen is probably the thing you know so when we in december when we look back we can say like oh we were actually nailed it. right because we yeah. nailed it <laughs> <laughs> well all right let's well, jump into yours you had a lot of data on yours yeah. last week brandy so let's I did. Uh, revisit i went Full forward. Everyone, um, <laughs> well, everyone was like, oh, this, this, is that. And they're like, no date, like no real data, like from what you gave. And then yours was just like, fact, 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 fact. <laughs> I was like, dang, she went in. So let's I'm go. Yeah. Her homework. <laughs> that is, um, that's, yeah, six years of business school, I guess, um, reinforced. There but um, so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it was just kind of the overall travel demand, not necessarily focused on the vacation rental or short term rental industry. But obviously, there's like a lot of kind of not I wouldn't say panic at this point, but a little uneasiness about the state of the global economy and what that's going to mean for travel. And based on what I was reading on, you know, the general sentiment is that the travelers habits are not matching the kind of like global economic sentiment. So you have kind of the big thought leaders are predicting doom and gloom and travelers are still like, well, Asia just opened up. So we're going to go, you know, to Thailand or whatever. So I think that if people are still sitting on some, you know, extra cushion, some cash from COVID and want to go spend in a place that's just opened up, especially if you, you know, the flights to Asia from the States are expensive, but once you get there, that's a pretty, you know, economical vacation. And so you, I think you have that component and luxury travel, I think is still just on the up and up people. There's, it seems like that has a renewed, there's a renewed vigor around this ultra luxury travel. And then for people who can't, you know, international travel might not be available to them, which is a pretty substantial part of the population. People are still going to go on vacation. They're just going to wait. 
and kind of make these, even though the airline prices are a bit higher, you know, we're still seeing our booking window stay much shorter than it would have been previously. So we're still, we'll end the month with really high occupancy, but you're starting the month being like, I guess people are going to book, you know, two weeks before they come. So yeah. I just think that that's because you have, I think people are aware that there are these, you know, kind of looming potential financial events coming. So they're kind of just waiting to see if anything happens. And then so you can be a little bit more adaptable, which isn't great <laughs> for the operator side of things. Um, but I think I don't think that travel is going to fall off a cliff just yet. People are still excited to be moving about and visiting places. And especially if you have the means to travel internationally, that demand, I mean, we're trying to book our tickets to go to Barcelona in May for the scale conference. And it's like, they're, they're outrageous. So crazy. Yeah. So people are going for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, the prediction. I mean, if you go back to 20 or 2008, 2008, However, you said it way back then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, luxury travel never declined. In fact, it grew during the the biggest recession of our lives. Uh, hopefully, we're not going to hit that kind of depth of a recession. But yeah, you know, I I think the the pandemic taught us that the value of travel when we're all cooped up and how you know it's important still to make sure you have that in your life and the ability to move and the freedom to move is huge. Um, but to that, to that same point, you know, looking at news last week of Google fires 12,000 and this company fires 12,000 and that company fires 12,000. It's like, you know, people, people probably won't travel much if they have zero income coming in. I do think yeah. those that are employed are probably putting a higher, amount of their budget aside for travel. Um, but that's, that's kind of going to be where we find out how, how bad this recession is, is how bad the unemployment ends up getting to. And you know, luxury will still be totally fine. Rich people always travel. Doesn't matter the economic climate. Just look at Davos. Everybody flies on their private jets. Um, you know, to go talk about climate change. And then complains <laughs> about climate control. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> totally wild, totally hypocritical. But rich people will always travel. So luxury is going to be fine. But it's that kind of mid luxury where these Google employees uh, probably were taking their vacations that maybe they skip it this year while they're looking for a job. So, well, it's, yeah, it's I interesting that, like, oh, go ahead, Brandy. I just think so. There's another really great. I love the, <clears throat> excuse me, the podcast, the journal from the Washington, or sorry, the Wall Street Journal. They had a great mm -hmm. um, segment a couple weeks ago about like, you know, you're hearing about all these tech layoffs and it sounds really scary. But then when you compare those numbers to the actual size of the American workforce, like it's, yeah. it's, it's not as quite alarming. Obviously, those are people with like higher salary jobs and it is potentially a sign of things to come. But it's important to put into perspective how many jobs the American economy mm -hmm. has, what the current like job openings are like and what the real unemployment numbers are currently. So it's I it's one of my like the when I was doing all this research and trying to, you know, adjusting my attitude for 2023 is like, there's so many things that can, you know, just trigger this panic of, you know, the world is going to about to come crashing down, but it's really, I think, important to put things into perspective with like the true size of the economy, you know? Well, let's, let's also be honest. A lot of these tech companies don't need to have that many employees. They, they hire for almost any type of position that 
you know, it's like, all right, is this really going to hit the bottom line? Probably not. Um, you look at Tim Cook as a CEO, took a 40% pay cut, didn't lay off anybody. He's still making a crap ton of money. Um, and Apple hasn't actually laid off anybody since um, jobs came back in order to like revive the company. And they did like 1400 layoffs or something like that. And, but that was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I think if I've just read this article this morning. So wow. to, to say that, you know, the, the, like, it's a good sign to watch, but I don't think big tech company layoffs are the biggest like forewarning that we should all watch for a recession, especially Brandy, as like you said, like the data is showing that there's kind of a ripple effect. I think travel is going to still, well, like depends. you said, people have been, I mean, yes, on a macro scale, but if you are a tech worker and you've been in the tech sector for a decade or your whole career, it doesn't look great. Right. Yeah. If I'm trying to pivot out of that. Laying everybody off. Like it's going to be hard to get a job back in tech. You're not going to make what you made at Google going to some mid mid tier company in Kansas. Like, it's just not. Yeah, I well, think. Yeah, that's the, how I'm. I'm not mentioning on that, but yeah, yeah, you make a point. The um, I think the interesting kind of like tie into our industry is the what this kind of means for. Uh, you know, funding and the tech companies in our industry, just our industry in general. I think that there, this, you're going to see some sort of, you know, ripple or some effect in our industry. Maybe the funding slows down a little bit. Maybe some companies freeze or, you know, do some layoffs. We've seen big layoffs. Um, I think someone was talking about the layoffs that were predicting for uh, Sonder and Vicasa in the coming year. Like there, I think our industry is definitely going to feel it as well. And I have seen this across a couple of different, you know, thought leaders on LinkedIn, but just that the drive for using technology to do any job possible, like there's a now a renewed push. So maybe people aren't laying off big chunks of their staff, but they're maybe going to be a little bit more reticent when they're hiring and trying to see like, is there any other way, you know, can chat, chat GPT take over our customer service department? Uh, so I think, yeah, we definitely will see some of the impacts. I just, I think that there is still such a strong demand for travel. Um, it just might be a little bit more cautious. Well, and let's be honest, hospitality companies are running as lean as humanly possible right now. Mm -hmm by their own accord or otherwise just incapable of hiring. So yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried about layoffs in the segment. I'm, I'm more worried about the macro trend of massive layoffs and, and decrease in, uh, in employment, which then hurts the, the mid market or the mass market of travel. Again, higher end stuff won't ever be touched. It's just the way that it works, but um, Will, want to be cognizant on time, get your predictions in. Yeah. Um, mine was to, to kind of one play it safe, but one try to ride that line of be bold. Right. So my first one was Vacasa, um, more or less not getting rid of homes, but being okay with losing inventory in certain markets that aren't super popular in the travel demand or in just in the terms of density, when it comes to inventory, but then also shifting into building multifamily. And when I say multifamily, I'm not talking like the sextant luxury, like apartment. I'm thinking more of like the condos in Arizona that are like a two bed, two bath, 
decent sized kitchen, decent sized living room, pool amenities, hot tub, maybe a decent gym. Uh, I'm thinking more of that type of building because that's, I think, what they're known for. And the kind of joke I made at the end of that prediction was just kind of saying, you know, it's hard to get fired from your own rental program when you're the owner of the building or the the property itself. So letting letting that they have to strive for profitability. So with that kind of trying to play more of an OTA rule, if they want to claim themselves as a tech company, then they're going to try to go more towards, you know, bookings. And I think that's the only way like to become profitable to own the inventory and then for them to play more of an OTA rather than a, an operator. But that was just kind of my, my quick one. The other one I had was on mobility hospitality in the sense of like cabana and the sprinter van slash RV glamping segment being a really popular one, even with an economic recession. So those were, those are my two. Yeah. I think I saw it this morning, some camping glamping, company got like 30 million out in europe just insane like yeah it's wild how much does a tent cost and you just need (laughs) land in the middle of nowhere right like it's it is a bit crazy to to have those kinds of valuations and that kind of well then you look at our our friend hector hughes with unplugged you know they, they they actually build their own inventory yes i think didn't he say they're kind of like leasing the land or they they buy the land or they lease they lease the land they own the structures yeah yeah and so to think that a company can get 30 million for buying like land in general when a company like his should get that funding in order to build real inventory mobile well i doubt they're buying the land but the the roi on one of those little cabins is like 14 months so it's just pure profit after that. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's why people are doing yeah. it. That's why the segment's really hot. Um, but it only it only goes so far. I love Hector's angle of like just absolute digital detox. But mm-hmm. like it only goes so far of the people that like to camp and aren't going to sleep on the floor for free on a tent mm-hmm. that they brought versus like willing to pay some kind of money that might be equivalent to a city vacation that's just basically a, a bed and a little bit of air conditioning, which I would prefer personally. Uh, <laughs> I don't like sleeping on the ground. It's not comfortable. Amen. I don't know how people do it. Yeah. But yeah, you, you out in Colorado, I'm sure there's just loads of people who just love Oh, no, people love it. Yeah. People love it. But I'm like, I'm a glamper. Like I did six years in the military. I don't need to sleep on the floor anymore. So <laughs> you're like, I'm, I've done I'm it. Fine. That's fine. <laughs> I've done, yeah, <laughs> I've done it. It's not comfortable using a Gatorade bottle as a pillow is not fun. So I'm going to definitely <laughs> stick with a little, a little bit of a comfort in life. Yeah. I am. Um, I'm a little intrigued about your Vacasa predictions because they're when they were going public, like part of their growth predictions was something like wildly unsustainable. They had to add thousands and thousands of homes every year to match the targets that they set. And so, I mean, there obviously now has been this reshift towards actually you need to make money like across the board. That's every, um, so I can see that I'm, it's just going to, going to be interesting because there's, if there's, 
if they start actively getting rid of inventory, that just continues to take them further away from the growth projections. I, that I don't have. think they're going to actively get rid of it. I just think they're going to be mm -hmm. okay with allowing. Like if sure, let's sure. be honest, yeah. they're actively getting rid of it, whether they're trying or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say <laughs> true. <laughs> yes, but it's like you know, big the big part of their layoff in October or September when we were getting ready to go to VRMA. You know, a lot of it was the acquisitions department, and true. you know, if they're not acquiring these you know small mom and pop you know in destination operation companies then you know where where is that money going to go and you know i think it's more or less going to be going towards building their own asset rather than than uh purchasing because if they spend what let's say two million dollars to acquire a company that has 25 properties or whatever the inventory account and then all of the owners leave what a waste of money like you know they have they have no control over that yeah, I just think that building their own, I can see them maybe like buying a building, but I just like the, you know, if let's say they started building something today, like it's not going to be ready for another year and a half, maybe two years. So I think I could see them coming in and buying some, you know, multifamily that's already under construction or maybe that is, is already open potentially. Um, yeah. But I, it's interesting that you say that they're known for the multifamily like or bigger buildings because i think from i view them more as only like single family homes but that's just i think my that's what my interaction has Wind, been Wyndham's yeah. bread and butter was those big buildings like you drive along mm. the coast and in, in the panhandle of florida and it's like Wyndham building Wyndham building Wyndham building sure now it's the cost building the cost building the cost building but okay yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah i think they bought Wyndham with that kind of skill set and expertise which is a smart move um and to be honest i to be fair to vacasa i haven't like kept too much in touch with what their inventory looks like but i i don't think they've been adding massive building after massive building um uh, very successfully i do think they're one of the few that's kind of primed to work with a massive private equity shop that's buying up these assets because no one else can really do it at scale. Like Picasa has the ability to, uh, I think, I think you mentioned something, Will, that for me is what's wrong with Picasa, which is they, they view themselves as a tech company. They're not a tech company. Like Saunders, nope. not a tech company. Nope. Sexton's <laughs> not a tech company. Like, nope. These aren't tech companies. <laughs> These are ops companies and ops is messy. And, you know, it, as much as you want the multiple for being a tech company, like mm -hmm. it's really not smart for you to go build a bunch of tech. It's no, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not the, it's not the core. It's not what your. It's not your core competency. It, like that, just like continues to blow my mind, and it has always really frustrated me because I understand, like you're saying, to get like the tech valuation. It's like, but okay, you get that, you get that number, and then what? Like you don't have anything to back that up. And if you add more to your top line revenue, it's an like ops heavy, obviously. So all of your costs are increasing, also to support that revenue. Yeah. The margins are not great compared to tech, and so it's just like it seems it's like yeah, you kind of like lie your way into that number and then you, it is impossible to support it. It's well, I was, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, I got the, I get the newsletter from Matt Landau's VRMB and there's a part at the end where it was talking about one of the members 
going into creating her own owner's portal because they haven't been able to find a sustainable or like a, a, a good owner's portal from their property management software or whatever. And the whole thing was about advising them against it because it's like, you're an operator. You don't need to go build a technology uh, like feature or anything. You don't need to go build tech. You just need to like, we need to one think utilize tech to its fullest capability. Cause a lot of people don't know how to use their full property management software or even examples like breezeway or wheelhouse or whatever. They don't know how to use it fully because we're not tech experts. We're operators. So uh, I think that's the big piece is like, okay, it may not be perfect, but you need to figure out ways around it and just make something that's good for now and, you know, keep your eyes out for something that could be better. Yeah. It's, it's as crazy. It's as crazy as saying, you know, track is going to go start a management company, right? Like it just doesn't make sense. It's not your business and you're better staying in your lane and, and adding things like rented to, to strengthen your offering versus like going wide and saying, we own this whole demographic from the traveler, the booking site to the operations on site to the software, you know, behind the scenes, like it's crazy. Like, why? <laughs> why yeah. Do it? And you also like, especially if you're an operator of, with any, of any size, if you have these good relationships with your vendor and you're like, you know what? I wish my owner portal had blah, blah, blah. You could go yes. to your PMS and be like, Hey, this is something I really want. Like, can we, how can we get this? And, you know, yeah. I think people have to have a more realistic timeline for how long it takes to build out pieces of tech. But if you have a good relationship, you could get your ideas on a product map, especially if it's going to benefit all of their customers. That's like 100%. your, your vendors want to hear what they, what they can do to keep you as a customer to improve the product. So if you have a little bit of patience, like it's worth it to wait eight months to get exactly what you want to have them build into the system you already have rather than to fumble your way through creating your own tech. Like, and, just... and leaving or, and or leaving that software to join another one and onboard and like start all over again, because this one promised you that they would build that or have that when it's time, but yet they mm -hmm. don't. And then you're going through this like dirty, dangerous cycle of, of, you know, he said, she said, well, this is that blah, blah, blah. And it's just not, not worth your time. You should just, well, and also ask yeah. yourself, why I need this. And it seems like no one else that uses this software does. Right. Yeah. So maybe, maybe something is weird with your operations that you need to take a step back with and chat with others that use the software and ask them how they do it. If they, if they all have the same problem and you all go to that tech partner together, I guarantee you it's going to be one or two on the roadmap. If 10 different people, you know, put it as their number one need. If no one else thinks it's a need, then you're probably doing something wrong. And it, uh, you know, look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's a lot more that we can go into it. But that's another topic for another day. I think we, we could probably rant on that for another 30 minutes. Um, and yeah, thanks for everyone tuning in on the live. 100% agree. Uh, we're getting a lot of a lot of thumbs up from the listeners today. Love it. But this is a good way to wrap it up. I know we mentioned that we are going to announce or not announce, but drop that episode um, that we did, the predictions of all of us. There was eight of us on this panel, so we'll drop that this week as a bonus if you want to dive into more than just the three of us. We had a bunch of great, smart, excellent people on the panel as well. So happy to drop that. And for you guys, give me one thing you're excited for this week before we jump off the, the recording today. 
One thing. That's all we need. I'm going to IMN today. So I'm in Miami I'm going to that conference today and tomorrow. If you're there, I'm speaking tomorrow at 930. So come on by. I think it, there's a lot of really interesting people on the panel. So, you know, love a full audience. <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's how it goes. Um, we've got a site visit at one of the most premier places in Scotland. So mm. uh, excited to see how that goes. Must be nice to deal with castles. Well, I'm not going. <laughs> one of our team members is going. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Love it. Well, awesome. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into the live, and we'll see everybody again next week.